Welcome to another PI World podcast. This is an audio-only version offered as another way to enjoy our great content. A full video version can be seen on piworld.co.uk, where you can find many more videos of interest to investors. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Inspire PLC 2022 final results. Presenting for you today, you've got myself, Mark Dickinson, Chief Executive Officer, Paul Connor, Chief Financial Officer, and David Cockshot, Chief Commercial Officer. Now, I guess the great place to start is to remind ourselves what the business does. So, Inspired PLC, we help corporate businesses deliver net zero and respond to climate change whilst controlling their costs. And we do this by meeting four main needs cost, consumption, carbon, and compliance the four C's, if you will. Now, as a business, we're fortunate to be operating within three very topical and also very exciting macro themes. The energy crisis, that's been a huge impact for everyone over the course of the last year. And remember our half one interim results, we pointed to the idea that the challenges of the energy crisis were really creating a wide range of uncertainty for the group as a whole. Now, Paul and David are going to walk you through the divisional analysis, which really um, brings to life how each of those divisions have either risen to those challenges or realised the opportunities brought about by the energy crisis. As we sit here in 2023, we also observe that actually the energy crisis starts to become more of an opportunity as defence against it is becoming a bigger and bigger boardroom agenda item and ultimately inspired PLC is well-placed to help clients meet that challenge. ESG, one of the most exciting and fastest growing macro themes globally. It's got a great compliance driver. It's becoming increasingly more important if businesses want to attract investments and also revenue critical if businesses want to renew their customers and acquire new customers. Typically now, you need to have a carbon action programme, you need to have a social value statement, you need to have a net zero roadmap. Ultimately, as Paul and David take the divisionals, what they're going to really bring to life for you is how um, proud we are of having gone from a bootstrap entry to 2.5 million revenues in less than three years. The final macro theme that we really speak to is net zero. Climate change is real and businesses have to play their part in dealing with that. And ultimately, the drivers of ESG and the energy crisis make it more and more important for businesses to reduce their carbon emissions and reduce their energy consumption. And as we go through the divisional analysis, what you'll see is how that really drives the potential for us to increase the client lifetime value of our portfolio, in some cases by a factor of 10. So how do we go about this? Over the last five years, we've spent a lot of time really diversifying our business to be able to offer a full suite of services that allow us to meet the needs of those four Cs. And we've done that in a way whilst delivering that diversification, we've also been able to double EBITDA during that five-year period. So in terms of meeting those drivers of cost, consumption, carbon and compliance, it starts with software. That software services division ultimately provides our competitive advantage. We're increasingly confident that we have the market leading platform as evidenced by more than 60 TPIs actually utilizing our platform to deliver their services. 
our assurance division, which helps our clients manage utility costs, and our ESG division that helps clients manage their ESG disclosures, speaks some really good macro themes. We've got a non-discretionary call to action. We've got recurring revenues. We solve complexity and we really build C-suite relationships as we deliver those services. As we build those relationships, we earn the opportunity to help those businesses or our clients actually make a difference by reducing their carbon emissions and reducing their energy consumption. And as we do that, it gives us that basis for really increasing that client lifetime value, which is uh, there to drive our growth over the coming five years. So what are our highlights for 2022? Great revenue growth of 31%, good EBITDA growth of 6%, and Paul and David, when they go through the financials, will walk you through how the reduction in EBITDA margins is a function of blend of services. Really proud of the cash generation from operations. And when Paul talks you through group performance, he'll talk you through effectively how that flows to just the PBT and EPS. So I'm going to hand over to Dave and Paul to take you through the commercial and financial performance of each division and then some of the key takeaways in terms of the group performance overall. Great, thanks, Mark. Uh, good morning, everybody. So let's start with assurance. That's the kind of front line, the long-established part of Inspired and the group. This is where we manage business energy costs. And the importance of that has obviously never been greater when we're seeing these huge increases businesses are faced with. It also looks for the errors on the invoices and the complexity in this area is just growing and growing. So it's almost impossible to fully validate an invoice without that professional support. There are millions and millions of pieces of data that are required to be processed organized and understood to be able to start that journey towards net zero. So the environment is very good for assurance services. The volatility means that the professional support is required and it's a boardroom agenda item. In terms of performance for the division, well, revenues were in line with expectations. We did have some increase in customer churn and we had some increased overheads as customers that perhaps uh, were relatively passive previously in their dealings with us, uh, suddenly were, were kind of on the phone every five minutes trying to understand what was happening in the, in the market. So uh, some OPEX increases, but all of that was just about offset by the record year for new business, including some uh, household names there that you'll recognise, Aldi, Arnold Clark, Signature Pubs, Moto, uh, and so on. So... In terms of the financials, Paul? Thanks, Dave. So, yeah, as Dave said, so 1% revenue growth in the division in the period. So the division, as we said at the half-year stage, we expected that due to the additional attrition um, from normally running around 85%, reducing to 80%, we expected that the growth rate from a revenue perspective for this year would reduce, and we're expecting that will continue into 23. Noting that historically we expect this division to grow circa 5%, organically year on year. As Dave said, you can see that reduction in margin in the period. So a 5% reduction, reflecting that need to further invest cost in our operating expenditure to ensure that we sustain that market leading service level to our customers. 
Let's move on to our ESG services, which is the other kind of entry point for businesses into the group, where we're supporting businesses with their disclosures. That used to be that kind of reluctance, I ought to do it, I should do it, but is now an absolute revenue critical item. What do we mean? Well, you have to be able to demonstrate your um, progress towards disclosures and improvement and actions, or you just won't retain those customers. You won't win that new piece of business that you're tendering for without the ability to compete on those kind of uh, ESG funds and demonstrate the actions that you're taking. Again, boardroom level item for our customers. We're the only provider of that bottom-up technology-enabled service which is absolutely framework agnostic. We can translate it into any of the frameworks that are out there. So in terms of the performance, we started this bootstrap and we invested in it last year. And from zero, we've ended up with a 2.6 million pound business, or division rather, delivering CAGA of 129%. So the growth is testament to this market-leading product at a market-leading price point. You see some of the names there that we've taken on board for this service, Lookers, Naked Wine, City Electrical Factors, etc. So Paul on the financials? Yeah, thanks Dave. So as Dave said, importantly, from an organic entry point in 2020, we've delivered 129% CAGA revenue growth in that period accelerating further to 167% in 2022. You'll note at the start of this year, of 22, should I say, we notified the market that we'd proved concept in the SG service division, and now we intended to increase our investment into this space to further accelerate growth in this area, and that's reflecting that 167% growth. You'll also note at the half-year stage, we notified the market that the division was performing above expectations and we upgraded our expectation from circa a million pound loss in the period to a 0.6 million pound loss. I'm pleased to report that the division has performed in line with those upgraded expectations. All routes lead to optimization. Whether you're trying to reduce costs or you're trying to reduce carbon emissions, typically we find that once we've built this relationship on the assurance and or the ESG side, then the next logical step as trust advisors is to help on their net zero journeys. So it's a service we provide mainly to existing clients as a cross-sell. The environment has never been better for optimization services, whether it is carbon or consumption or cost that is the driving force, the pressure there to reduce is absolutely there. So that's resulted in really strong performance in the year with revenues up 64%, all of which is organic. And there's no sign of any abatement to that demand for the need to reduce. So clients again, some names, W.H. Smiths, M.I. Dixon, Ann Summers, etc., all choosing to take our services. Financially, Paul? Yeah, thanks, Dave. So since the emergence from COVID in 2020, We've seen this division generate 85% CAGA revenue growth, 64% in year on year in 22, reflecting that further acceleration in the period. 
that's translated in a doubling of EBITDA for the year and an increase in margin, acknowledging that at the start of 2021, the division had a level of disruption from ongoing COVID restrictions. So last year, the division didn't run for a full 12-month period at full capacity, um, whereas the margin this year is broadly in line with the circa 20% that we guide to for this division. And last, software. Software is the service that underpins everything that we do. There is so much data, unstructured format, that has to be assembled, analysed and really understood. Our platform, we believe, is the market-leading platform. The environment, TPIs typically have been technology laggards. They haven't invested in it. Ever increasingly, though, the complexity in the market means that spreadsheets and self-build programs are just no longer suitable. It requires that platform-based technology to be able to deliver the solution for clients. That's why 60 of our competitors are using the software that we have developed. There's also 200 direct clients using it for their needs uh, as well. So a solid performance in the year with customers such as NHS Property Services, Peabody, Laser and SMS PLC all using the service. And we have many more modules coming ready for release within the next year that will just make this service even more valuable to Inspired and indeed the rest of the market. Financially, Paul. Thank you, Dave. So CAGR revenue growth since 2020 in this division of 9%. You'll know a slight reduction in that in 2022, which we believe was a reflection of the conditions from a macro perspective. Adjusted EBITDA remaining broadly stable. EBITDA margin slightly down in the period, and that's a reflection of the acquired businesses in the period yet to be integrated. Okay, so if we now go on to the, the group performance and how the group's performed since 2019, noting we've only segmentally reported since 2020. So you'll see that the group's delivered CAGA revenue growth through that period of 27%. And you'll see in the pie charts to the right-hand side there that we've had that change in revenue mix. So the assurance business in 21, previously the largest revenue contributor to the group. 22, the optimization division is now the largest contributor to the group. And that reflects in the changing margin of the group. You see there, that's CAGA EBITDA growth of 8%, and then CAGA PBT growth of 3%, with the impact of the amortization costs from some of our capital expenditure into our tech platform flowing through into PBT, as well as an increase in interest costs during that period. And if you look at the right-hand side, what does that mean to EPS? So despite the fact that earnings during that period have increased, EPS is reduced by 9%. And that's a reflection of the significant equity raise the group completed in 2020 to strengthen the balance sheet and facilitate the strategically important acquisitions of Ignite and subsequently business-wise, um, which have enabled us to develop that confidence of being able to double EBITDA from an organic perspective over the next five years. If we then move on to look at the cash flow, so particularly pleasing performance in terms of cash generated from operations. So we generated cash conversion of north of 100% in the period. And that's following on from an abnormal period last year in our optimization division, which was emerging from COVID at the start of 2021 and accelerated 
in a reduced trading period as a result of the disruption of COVID in the first four or five months, which caused that distortion of the trade receivables movement. In terms of cash flows for investing activities, so significant outflows for the performance related payments by way of contingent consideration for the acquisitions completed in that period. And we'll touch on in a minute why the business has structured transactions the way it has and the merits of doing so. A reduction as signposted in capital expenditure as we continue to develop the service and products of our tech enabled service and a tick up there in interest costs in the period as a result of the group running at higher level of net debt and also interest rate costs increasing throughout 2022. So the increase in net debt as a reflection of the outflows for investing activities, netting off against that generation of cash from operations. So a 4.3 million increase in absolute terms, 1.77 times from a leverage perspective at December net debt to EBITDA. We're guiding that that will remain broadly flat by the end of 2023. Again, that's a reflection of, you'll see the continued consideration payments there in the current liabilities line of 13 million pounds relating to performance of the acquired businesses in 2022, noting that 2.6 million of that 13 is to be payable in shares. You also know subsequent payments, again, performance related payments in non-current liabilities, which we expect to make in 24 for performance of those businesses in 23. So, we thought it'd be a good time noting the impact of the performance-related payments attributed to acquisitions in both the PL and the cash flow in 2022 to reflect on our acquisition principles and why we structure transactions the way we have and will continue to do going forward. We'd structure deals individually and specifically determined by their acquisition thesis. So whether we're looking to a revenue synergy play, a cost synergy play, or a capability enhancement. We'll structure deals to incentivize vendors to succeed through performance-related payments via contingent consideration structures. We'll ensure that transactions are earnings enhancing within 24 months of completion. So why specifically performance-related structures? We will only pay for EBITDA that's real, so we won't pay for forecast EBITDA or multiple of forecast EBITDA. That ensures that the acquired companies are contributing cash to the group, and where possible, the transactions can be in part self-funding. It provides us the ability to remain acquisitive through periods of significant market volatility, like we saw in 2020 and 21, when we completed those strategically important acquisitions. We're able to incentivize vendors to firstly transact, secondly, deliver our acquisition thesis collaboratively, and also support successful integration through that period. The outcome has been that we've paid, on average, less than four times adjusted EBITDA for our acquisitions. We've protected shareholders against downside risk. And the intention will be to continue to structure transactions prudently to ensure that we maximise the outcome from those transactions. So I'll now hand back to Mark to take us through the SG performance. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, but thanks, guys. I think one of the key things for us is having seen the challenging circumstances of 2022. Really delighted with how the um, the the group has performed, and when you think about that um, that growth rate, that eight percent EBITDA growth that we were delivered since 2019, having endured COVID, if we hadn't had COVID there, 
that would have been double digit EBITDA growth. And that was something we said to the market back in 2019 was something that we'd be there to, to achieve and design into the business. Now, ultimately, we've touched on the idea of the um, organic entry into ESG and how important and exciting that is as a macro theme. So we can't be a significant service provider to that macro if we're not a leading light in ESG performance ourselves. So if we look at our disclosure suite, the key thing about this is when you look at businesses in your portfolios, businesses that you cover as analysts, ultimately, if they're not doing this level of disclosure, then they're still some way further back on their journey. This, to our mind, is where disclosures go to for investors to have a proper understanding of a business from an ESG perspective. So it starts with streamlined energy and carbon reporting, which basically provides insight into a business scope on the scope two emissions. It's really important that the businesses in your portfolio provide a carbon balance sheet. That carbon balance sheet layers in scope three emissions and is fundamental for a business to be able to understand its carbon cost of operations and how it might achieve carbon neutrality and be in a place where it can bridge from year to year on the um, impacts of the other steps it's taken. Task Force for Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, TCFD, that's becoming increasingly mandatory and there'll be 1,800 businesses by 2025 that are obliged to provide a TCFD report. Now, we've been doing that voluntarily for the last three years and it's really important that when you get these, you don't just get a TCFD disclosure, but you produce a TCFD index. That's going to allow all of the ESG analysts and the ratings companies to really understand where in your disclosure the pertinent piece of information is. Once you're doing TCFD, those who are really looking to make sure that investors can understand the ESG credentials of their business should be doing an ESG performance report. There are many taxonomies for this. We use GRI. And similarly, it's about producing the performance report and the disclosure. So from that perspective, all of these are available on our website. Um, and what we also find is that when you um, get queries in and questionnaires in from investors, there's a really strong way of responding to these. And that's by when you have those questions, rather than putting a two, three line answer, which we suspect most of your portfolio companies do, you can actually go to the answer, give the headline, but then link to the appropriate page in the disclosure and the appropriate page in the index. So from our point of view, if businesses aren't doing this right now, it's what they will have to be doing in the next two, three years. Um, so ultimately, we try and lead the way um, on a voluntary basis. Another important thing then is, as a company, that we understand how we look to the outside world. So as one of our services, we'll provide for fund managed investors actually an ESG evaluation dashboard for all the companies in their portfolio. And this is the results for ours. So this is what we look like. And ultimately, it's really important that investors can actually analyze and benchmark companies across the portfolio from an ESG perspective. So what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to go through in detail how we performed each metric. It's all there in the public domain. It's all clearly signposted. And I would invite everybody to go and engage with that and evaluate us and um, you know, feel free to fire in questions as people um, um, interpret that data. So if we've ultimately got this, these strong thematics, we've had a good performance in 2022. 
And we've got the four divisions that really start to work well from software to, to landing customers on assurance and ESG to the potential of increasing lifetime value to optimization services. What Dave's going to do now for you is really bring that to life, both in terms of the operating model and some client case studies. Okay, thanks, Mark. So, reminder, our market. The drivers for our market, energy, it's really high prices, extreme volatility, complexity, and indeed something we've not touched on yet is those increasing credit requirements for customers before they can even start buying the energy, they've got to start posting collateral in many cases. From an ESG perspective, we've demonstrated how it is absolutely business critical. It's not a, I might do, I should do, I ought to do. It's absolutely critical from both an investor and a revenue perspective that you have this ESG understanding and a plan to improve, let alone the legal compliance and it all goes to the very heart of business ethics. Okay, so what does that translate into? The four Cs, the needs of the business, to control cost, control consumption, comply and reduce carbon. We are uniquely positioned to be able to help on all four elements. If we look at our customer numbers, the assurance business, we have around 850 what we call large clients, generating a gross margin of £20,000 per year. And if we take that over a 10-year cycle, the client lifetime value, the 10-year lifetime value, £200,000 per customer of those large clients. Smaller clients, around £5,000 per year. We have 1,600 of those, and they'll generate a lifetime value of around £50,000. There's also some very small clients generating around £2,000 a year with £20,000 lifetime value. If we flip to the ESG side, then we've got 44 clients of the large scale that are generating a gross margin of £40,000 per year and a lifetime value of £400,000 and 57 of what we'll describe as entry level, where they're just starting on that journey, gross margin of £7,500 £80,000 lifetime value. And then on the optimization side, it's harder to put that into an annual figure because they sometimes come in kind of bursts and lumps. But on a large organization, we'd expect that to be two and a half million pounds over the 10 year cycle, and a small organization, 400,000. Now, just put that number in context for a moment. We'll come back to this as one of the case studies. Two and a half million pounds is not just a number we've plucked out of the air. It is a reasonable figure. Actually, we'll give you an example of where that lifetime value from the client is 23.7 million pounds and growing. But anyway, if you add all of those three together, if you get the full service clients that take all of our services, then large scale, Lifetime value, 3.1 million. We have 12 of those at the minute. The full service smaller clients, lifetime value, half a million pounds. We have 15 of those at the moment. But if you multiply those 3.1 million or half a million out by all of those customer numbers, you get a current client existing opportunity of 3.6 billion pounds. 
So again, to put that back into context, 2027, if we are working during that year on 25 large full-service clients and 75 small full-service clients, that would generate increased gross margin of 73 million. And at that moment in time, we would just be working on 3% of our existing client opportunity. So the market is there, the scale is there for us to really drive this home now. The ego wall kind of just speaks to that. Some very famous household names in there that our clients have inspired that are taking our services. But let's bring this to life. Okay, This is a case study on a high street retailer. They have 500 stores. They've been a group client since 2010. And over those past 13 years, on average, they've spent 1.7 million each year on repeatable projects. And that's to reduce their consumption by around about 30%. Now you can see we started in 2010 doing LEDs, lighting. And that was a rollout program over all the stores. So it was done on a gradual basis over those first three or four years. We then moved on to control installations, again, rolling that out over subsequent years. You'll see in 2020, we've gone back to upgrade the LEDs. Why is this? It's the need that we're solving for the client. The client needs to reduce and remove that marginal unit of carbon or units of energy consumed or cost. So they want to know where to deploy their next pound of capital to remove that next marginal unit. That's what we do, is we continue this virtuous circle of going around and removing that next unit of wastage. Lifetime value of this client today, 23.7 million pounds. There's a further 4.7 million pounds of planned expenditure already identified and already planned that will reduce consumption by a further 30%. So a great example there of the repeatable demand nature of optimization services. But let's take it to a completely different scale. These are four completely separate, disparate clients. The one thing they have in common though, is they're taking energy management as a service or EMAS uh, from us. EMAS is designed to make optimization services available to smaller clients. It gives granular level understanding of where energy is used and more importantly, where it's wasted. And part of this subscription-based service buys time with the expert to be able to interpret that data, to understand and identify opportunities to reduce wastage or improve efficiency. It supports ESG disclosures and the product of itself almost doubles, in every case, the lifetime value of the client. But that's not the best bit. The best bit is that it gives us those opportunities to move on into the optimization services and develop the relationships with the clients even further. 
Final case study, something completely different, Make UK, the manufacturing organisation. Example of our sales of one to many. We started with them on a kind of advisory service, small piece of work, just helping their members control energy costs during COVID. That moved on in 2021 to designing a net zero toolkit for small manufacturers, just to help them start to get their heads around what they needed to do to deliver a plan for net zero. We extended that in 2021, latter half, to different sector-based net zero roadmaps. And in 2022, fast forward to last year, we delivered £750,000 worth of revenue against 23 new logos. And that's just the start. The opportunities with those customers are many and wide-ranging, all of which, though, has been built from this trusted advisor status, starting giving the advice, helping, and then moving on into the trusted advisor status. So three very different uh, examples there of repeatable demand, of the need for understanding of, of energy on a granular basis for our smaller clients, and the relationship building that we've been able to establish. Mark, I'll hand back to you. Thank you, David. So I guess kind of ultimately, we've gone through um, the, the macro themes. We've seen how the business has transformed. Um, you know, if you went back five years ago, there was no software services. There was no optimization services. There was no ESG services. So we've done a significant amount of transformation and we've doubled EBITDA over the last five years whilst we've done it, as well as battling COVID and an energy crisis. So what's that hold for 2023? So if we look at um, the current year, we've got a new normal created by the energy crisis, accelerating demand and really bringing things up the boardroom agenda. From our perspective, we've got focus on increasing lifetime value. David's taking you through the examples of where we can make a material difference as we start to work on that client base. And what's really interesting for me is I look at some of the analysis and people making CLV metrics, and it strikes me that sometimes those are very aspirational. People have got two years evidence and they're trying to show how good their business is because they extrapolate forward over a, a future time period. Our 23.7 million CLV from the example client is empirical evidence. It's factual history from realized long-term relationships. So how does that translate into this year? This year, if you look at the market expectations, we're expecting from a management point of view to deliver between 12 and 15% EBITDA growth and deliver 80% to 90% cash conversion. So really bringing into the 2023 year, the momentum on cash conversion that we had in 2022. What I also want to take you through is our growth aspirations. So we've got that track record of doubling EBITDA and we're going to do it again. So, but this time, if the first bit was done transformationally, increasing capability with a lot of acquisitions, we've currently got all the pieces on the board now to double EBITDA organically. There'll still be an M&A thesis layer over the top, but ultimately we don't need that to deliver, in our opinion, that FY27 aspiration. We're going to do it by focusing on lifetime value. And if you extrapolate out the numbers, we have to be active on site in the premises 
reducing carbon emissions, reducing energy consumption in 2027 with around about 3% of our portfolio. What drives that ability to increase CLV, recurring revenues on the assurance and ESG businesses, repeatable demand and optimization services, and really play into the strong macro themes of ESG and net zero carbon. So bringing that all together, strong results against challenging backdrop, excellent opportunities for optimization services and ESG services, our strategic focus on client lifetime value, and our aspiration to organically double five-year EBITDA again. Thank you very much. PI World videos and podcasts are for general information and interest. They do not constitute any kind of recommendation or inducement to buy shares of any company. PI World is not offering any kind of financial advice and nothing in our material should be taken as such.